Welcome to the second episode of the On Deck podcast. We're joined by sports psychologist and mental skills coach Graham Betchert, who has just recently launched an app called Lucid Training to bring his mental training program to the masses. Betchert tells us how important the mental side of the game is to basketball's top athletes. And it just started to set in that, hey, the mind is everything. When you ask an athlete, you say how much of your sport is mental, all of them will say at least 70%. Makes the case that mental training is just on the cusp of being more widely accepted. Everyone is real hush-hush about this and real quiet, uh, but I think you're starting to see some teams open up. And discusses how he and the Lucid Training team are using technology to scale and bring this program to a wider audience. We're really looking to reach the masses. You know, we feel like this is already in niche groups and we feel like certain people have access to mental trainers, but the world doesn't. And we found that people are totally receptive of it. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please subscribe and give us a rating and review. We'd love to hear what you think. And with that, here's host Will Flaherty. Thank you everyone for joining us for this next episode of the On Deck podcast. And we're really honored to have Graham Betcher as our guest. Graham is a sports psychologist and mental skills coach who's worked with players such as Aaron Gordon and the past three number one NBA draft picks, including Ben Simmons, Carl Anthony Towns, and Andrew Wiggins. And Betcher recently sold his company Play Present to Lucid Training this past spring and is now Lucid's director of mental training. Thank you so much, Graham, for joining us. Oh, it's awesome to be here. I'm totally excited. Awesome. Well, you know, before we get into the Lucid training story, we'd love to just hear a bit about your background and your story. You've had a long career uh, in kind of in mental skills coaching. We'd love to hear how you got into it, um, you know, kind of what, what drove you to, to this field, and, and where did you really find this as a field where you could, could help uh, drive impact? Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I grew up loving sports. You know, it was always a big part of my life. And when I was uh, 19 years old, my first year of college, I was going through just a really hard time in my life. You know, I was really low. I was depressed. I was just, everything was crumbling that uh, had kind of made me up as who I was. And my mom, I called my mom in a state of kind of a panic and was like, you know, I'm falling apart here. And she told me, she said, look, you, you can rewire your brain. You can do work. And, and I, as soon as she said that sentence, it was like I had hope in my mind. And, um, you know, I'm from San Francisco. So I went back to this place called the San Francisco Healing Center that my mom knew about. And I started doing mental training, which was you know, a lot of meditation and visualization and healing type work, uh, working through trauma and just learning how kind of the mind works and all these things work. And I, and I did that for uh, a couple years really intensely. And I was able to kind of put myself back together. And uh, when I kind of came back to, I realized I still had college basketball eligibility. I wanted to keep playing sports and I walked on to UC Santa Cruz. And when I played at UC Santa Cruz, it was just so clear that all this training I had done was really helping me out in sports. And I, I was nowhere near the best player on the team, but I was the captain of the team and I had a lot of leadership ability. And it just started to set in that, hey, the mind is everything, you know, and this is in the mid 90s. And it's not like there's a lot of people talking about mental training, let alone a male talking about it. You know, it's not something that men go around talking about. And but it was like a light bulb went off and it was like, I have something like I, I, I have something here to share with the world. Um, and then when I finished college, I got my first job out of college and I met a guy named Donald Foyle who was playing for the Warriors at the time. And I was working across the street from where the Warriors uh, worked out. And Adonis, I was working at a gym and Donald would come work out there sometimes. And we became friends. And he said, have you ever heard of sports psychology? And when, when I heard those words, it was like the light bulb went off my head and I just knew that was my calling. And I immediately quit my job, 
enrolled in graduate school and you know that was 12 years ago and I've just been on this hype for 12 years and I thought this shouldn't be secret stuff this shouldn't be stuff that only some people find out about my goal was to normalize it I wanted to make this training normal because it helped my life out so much and I thought the way to make it normal is teach it through basketball because basketball is normal and if I could teach it through the game that I know well that I'm culturally competent in I could advance mental training. And so that's what I did. I started coaching high school basketball when I started working on my master's and just applying all this stuff. And I was in the Bay Area just working on developing mental training for anyone that wanted it. And I happened to come across a young kid named Aaron Gordon when he was 11 years old. And we did our first, you know, like exercise together. And by the time he was 13, we clicked and and like really hit it off. And, you know, we've been together for 10 years kind of working with each other. So I I feel like I was called to do mental training. I feel like my role here in the world is to normalize this and be a voice to bring it out and to make it public. And so all the guys that I've trained, kind of kind of my relationship with them is, hey, we're going to share this. I'm not going to share the details of what we're working on, but we're going to share that you work on mental training because this needs to be out there. And that was my deal. Like if I'm going to work with Aaron Gordon at 13 and I didn't charge him, I was like, the deal is we're going to share this at some point so the whole world can be a part. And he was down and he was he was down with it. And so here it is. You know, I just kind of took that and ran and I just I've just been going with it. And I formed a company called Play Present. I wrote a book called Play Present. Eventually that got acquired by a tech company. And, and now we are using tech to try to scale this and get this out to the world, you know, because we know everyone's got a phone and everyone loves apps. So we're building an app to get it out there, you know. And so I I feel like I'm just serving and um, I'm, that's what I'm here to do is just help and, and help people. And the story just keeps unfolding every time um, I take a step, you know. That's fantastic. And, and you know, I'm curious, you know, one, one of the things you mentioned there is that you know, you're really working hard to normalize uh, mental training. I think that, you know, the, the uh, implication there is that there are some people that are skeptical, right, that, that, that yeah. don't really understand or realize the benefits. So what are some of the common, you know, skepticism, you know, points of skepticism that, that you pick up on and, and kind of what are some of the things you, you say to that? You know, well, a, a lot of the skepticism you would hear is that, hey, there's nothing wrong with me. You know, this whole idea of mental health or psychology or therapy, just saying those words brings up a lot for people. And when I say it brings up a lot, people have their own ideas uh, if this is good, this is bad, uh, different cultures kind of push that stuff away. So there's a whole bunch of stigmas uh, against it. But at the same time, when you ask an athlete, you say how much of your sport is mental, all of them will say at least 70%. So it was like they knew that everything was mental, but there was these old stigmas holding people back from training. And it was it reminds me of where weightlifting was before Michael Jordan started to lift weights. Before Michael Jordan lifted weights, everyone thought that lifting weights was going to mess up your game and kind of mess up your, your shot. And we all know that's not true at all. And so mentally, I feel like mental training is right on that cusp of becoming totally normal. Um, and the way we beat some of these stigmas is I just taught Aaron when he was young. Aaron didn't know a stigma. He didn't know any different. He just bought into it and then it starts to work for him and then he's rolling with it. So my experience with, with people that have some hesitation with it or, you know, have some, some sort of, you know, trepidation with it is that's okay. It's, it's totally okay. That's where you are. Um, and we're just going to roll with it and, and keep doing this because in my heart, I know this stuff is positive. I know nothing's wrong with you if you do it. I know that means you actually have confidence. 
Um, so I, I feel like my work actually is to beat a lot of those stigmas and be such a positive, powerful force that those stories just die. You know, that those stories no longer hold any more weight because the truth is they don't. And mental health is for everybody and everyone needs it. And all the kids I work with, they love this stuff, you know. So we're raising a generation to blow out that old stigma because that's the most limiting thing there is, is thinking something's wrong with you by asking, reaching out and asking for help. That's like saying, hey, I, I, I want to be, you know, have a piano teacher teach me in piano. Oh, something's wrong with you. You shouldn't need a teacher. You should just know how to play piano. But it, it just doesn't work like that. Right. You need these are real skills. You have to be taught. So I feel like that's my role. Um, there's some old stigmas, but I feel like those stigmas are dying. And I think that's a really good thing. For sure. Yeah. That philosophy you described, it certainly uh, doesn't work for my golf swing. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it, it certainly uh, understand that logic uh, uh, for sure. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, one thing about, you know, kind of working with with Aaron uh, when he was young and the fact that he didn't have preconceived notions of what. Um, you know, was or wasn't a stigma. It seems like a lot of the athletes that you've worked with, at least on the basketball side, have been, uh, you know, when they're in high school, when they're uh, kind of, you know, before they're, they're professionals. To what extent uh, does working with these folks when they're young help foster these good habits moving forward? It's, it's super important. I mean, everything we're working on is repetition. Mental skills are like physical skills. You have to do them over and over and over and over again. So as soon as you can start putting your reps in and practicing, you start getting better at it. You know, focus is a choice. We're always focused. It just may not be on the right thing. And when you start to learn to focus on the things that's in your control, you have to practice that every day. And you have to, we, we, what we always say is you have to rep it out. You have to put reps into this. There is no quick fix. There is no overnight success. And that's why I call it training. This isn't like solving a crisis. I'm talking about training. This is about teaching people a way to think, a way to be, and then having them practice that from when they're young. So like Aaron right now, if you talk to Aaron, he doesn't sound like a 20-year-old with his mental game. He sounds like he's super advanced, but he's just been doing this for 10 years. So he understands the language. He understands mindfulness. He understands that we all have stories, and a lot of those stories are not based in reality. They're based on feelings. He understands you have to fail to get good at things. So all these things he's been working on for a long time. And so he has this dialogue in his head as he's going through the MBA experience, which is very hard. He has this set of skills that's helping guide him, you know, and we're not trying to like, I, I much prefer training someone than trying to get someone through a crisis. And I think mental health for a lot or mental training has been get someone through a crisis. And I'm about proactive training. So working with kids is where it's all about, you know, because the earlier you start doing these reps, the more practice you have. And, and you know, one thing you mentioned, and, and as a lot of uh, these folks you've worked with have gone through various phases, right? They've gone from being a high school star to being a college star and then being a college star to getting drafted and proving themselves in the NBA. Looking at, at someone like Ben Simmons, who you've worked with, who's gone from being a, you know, a presumptive number one pick all year to, to soon being an NBA rookie and going to, to summer league in, in a couple of weeks and kind of starting that new uh, career. What are the things that you, you say to the folks you work with that are going into these transitional periods, right? That are going from being the king of the hill to potentially a new and uncertain uh, environment. What, what are, are the things you try to keep uh, their mind on uh, as they enter these, these stages? These are really great questions because the transition times are where a lot of this work gets done. Because the transition times are where people feel vulnerable, right? It's where they feel open. It's where they're not sure what's going to happen next. So a couple of main concepts we work on. One is called victory to the vulnerable, meaning 
being vulnerable is where your biggest wins are going to come. So these opportunities where you get to feel vulnerable are really, really powerful. And if we look at them as something we should approach instead of going away from, we can get really good at this. And another thing to think about is being comfortable being uncomfortable and also that you have to fail your way to the top. So during transitions or the obvious thing that people talk about with Ben Simmons is Ben Simmons can't shoot, right? You hear that like all the time, like Ben Simmons can't shoot. And one of the things that people and Ben included work on when they make these transitions is allowing yourself to have the space to take shots and miss shots because that's how you're going to get better. So it's allowing, it's helping them judge themselves, not on results and outcomes, but on their process because everyone else is judging them on results and outcomes and you cannot control results and outcomes that will sabotage your confidence. So I get them to shift their focus to their process and to what they control. So an example would be instead of worrying about making the shot, take the shot, don't hesitate, believe in it, and then move on to the next play. And that's it. And if you miss 15 shots, you did great. Even if you feel uncomfortable, everyone is saying you did terrible and everyone's beating you up, they have to learn to develop that voice inside of them that's able to coach themselves through these situations. Because if they're always looking for the outside voice, you're going to get a million different outside voices telling you a million different things. Certainly, certainly. Um, you know, one, one thing you mentioned too earlier is that you, you've been drawn to basketball partially through your, you know, just your experience playing the game and your knowledge of the game. Is there anything else that you see in basketball as a sport and the mental challenges that it, it presents to athletes that's particularly intriguing or fascinating to you that might be different than other sports? You know, certainly there's a, you know, a, a body of, of research into the mental aspect of, of baseball and, and, you know, uh, club and yeah. club and, and, and stick sports like golf and tennis. But, you know, what else draws you to basketball and the kind of the uniqueness of the, the challenges that it presents in the, in the mental side of the game? Well, one thing I like about basketball is it's constantly moving forward where a lot of other sports, like let's, if we take golf, for example, let's say an average round of golf is between three and four hours. There is between three and four minutes of actual action. So 98% of the time, 99% of the time, you're not playing golf. You're just walking and you're in your head. Same thing with baseball. In a baseball game, there's about four to five minutes of actual action. Most of it is people just standing around, right? Just standing there. In a basketball game, you have 48 minutes of movement. So a situation might happen during a play, but you have to continue to move on to the next play. There is no stop, regroup, you know, get ready for my next shot. You, you have to move forward. And we call that next play speed. And so in basketball, you can easily see when someone is not moving on to the next play, their body stops and you'll see the game moving forward. And what that means is they're in their head. They're stuck and they're no longer present. And they're no longer where they are. They're now analyzing something that just happened and they're no longer in the moment. So with basketball, I love seeing players constantly move on to the next play with ease and gracefully moving forward, even when their shots are getting blocked or they're, they're airballing shots. Um, and they just keep moving forward. You know, and Phil Jackson was pretty good at not calling timeouts when his teams were going through tough times because he wanted to teach them mentally, you have to move through this. You have to find your flow no matter what's going on. So basketball does provide that, like soccer and hockey, they all provide that same experience. And it's interesting you mentioned that that concept of having you know time to kind of be in your head and, and, and how other sports have much more time. You think to basketball in one place, if there's any part of the game where uh, basketball players have time kind of stuck in their head, it's, it's at the free throw line. And of course, 
you look back at the history of basketball, there's so many examples of folks that have had middle blocks at the line. You think of Nick Anderson in the, in the NBA Finals is, is just yeah. one example. That's a, a very unique situation. I'm curious, for, for athletes that you run into that, that struggle with that, what, what's kind of the, the advice or, or recommendations you give to them on approaching that particular, particularly tough challenge of, of hitting free throws? Yeah, well, well, we'll use Aaron Gordon as a perfect example because he's um, he's a great example of getting better at free throws. You know, Aaron Gordon in high school was shooting thirty percent from the free throw line. Uh, he was considered just an athlete, and in college he was shooting thirty, maybe thirty five percent. And now as an NBA player, he's shooting seventy seventy five percent from the free throw line. And it's all a mindset. He has built his mindset around mastering shooting free throws meaning he knows he has to fail to the top. He knows he's going to have to miss free throws over and over and over again before it works for him. And when he was in college, one of the things he committed to was continuing to be aggressive, even though he was getting fouled and going to the free throw line and missing every shot he took. And his home fans were kind of laughing at him sarcastically. So so there is no quick fix. There is no, oh, like Andre Drummond is having a tough time with his free throws. He talked to someone for 15 minutes, so now he solved it. That's not it. And you're not, you can't go shoot a thousand free throws at practice and address what's going on. That's not it. It's your whole approach to how this thing works. And do you think missing free throws is failure? And are you walking up to the free throw line hoping not to miss? Or are you shooting it with confidence and whatever happens, happens? So with Aaron, the first thing we, we worked on when he was in high school, is I came to him and I said, the first thing you need to tell yourself is I love free throws. I love free throws. And he was like, he looked at me crazy because he knew right away the story he was telling himself was I hate free throws, right? I hate it. So he had to, he had to change his self-talk. I love free throws. And then we practiced without a ball. We would go through his free throw routine and he would imagine himself shooting and he would imagine himself making shot after shot after shot after shot. And we did this his whole senior year of high school, his whole freshman year of college. And it, took six, seven, eight hundred days before you start to see it happen on the basketball court. And now you see Aaron, he's 20 years old. And again, he's shooting over 70% in the NBA. And people are kind of wondering how that's happening. And so I, I, I take mental training and say, look, if you want to get better at something like free throws, there's no quick fix. Give yourself seven, eight hundred, nine hundred days and really work on changing your whole approach to this whole situation. No doubt that it, it, it's got to take a lot of time and attention. So to change gears a little bit, would love to hear more about how you know you've begun to work with with Lucid to to really distribute your approach and your philosophy towards mental training to a broader audience. And and so really curious just to hear you know how did you begin to work with them and you know how how is your philosophy and and, and your approach manifest in in kind of a more of a distributed product through an app. Yeah, you know, so uh, so I wrote the book uh, Play Present and started the company Play Present, and the book is a series of twelve plays. It's under 50 pages. It, to me, it's the most concise mental training book I've ever seen. And it's just a series of plays. And I thought, there it is. I've, I've normalized mental training. The world can now have it. Um, and I think I sold like 200 copies of the book. You know, So I was like, okay, this, this isn't the way to get this information to the world. So I met a guy at Stanford named Andrew Zimmerman who was involved uh, with this guy named B.J. Fogg. And B.J. Fogg is a professor at Stanford who's involved uh, with behavior design. Behavior design is... His whole thing is how do we use technology um, to scale what we're doing? And in B.J. Fogg's um, class, Snapchat came out of it. Instagram came out of it. So there have been all these successes there. And Andrew, I uh, ended up making him a part of Play Present, brought him on and brought it, made him a partner. He was like, we need to make this into an app. 
and we need, we need to get involved in tech. And for me, um, I was like, okay, I didn't really know what to do. And we, we would sit in my garage every day and, and try to find people involved in tech. And we had no money and we were just out there. Um, and through a process of, you know, I don't know if it's magic or how this works, but you, you knew this company was meant to be. We were introduced to um, Jason Sturman and Soren, who formed Lucid. And we met them within the first minute of being in the room. We knew it was on, you know, because all they were searching for was someone who had been doing mental training and who had the content and background because they had all the tech experience. And all we were looking for was tech because we had all the mental training experience and all the content. So it was like this perfect marriage. And we just we just connected and we're making it happen. So now our goal is um, to create this mental training app, which is out there in the world. And it's five minutes a day. So we make it really simple. It's non-invasive. You don't have to sit and close your eyes. You can if you want, but you can walk down the street. You just put your headphones on. And we've essentially, uh, I've designed a thousand workouts. So it's a thousand five-minute workouts. We're thinking about 250 per year. So it's a real program to take people through our training pathway. It isn't just like a random meditation today. It's a whole program with the first phase being stabilizing, right? Learning to focus on your breath and learning to kind of stabilize your mind. The second phase is analyzing, becoming aware of all your stories or any of your limiting beliefs. And the third phase is actualizing getting back out into the world from your full sense of power through the most authentic you focused and confident doing your thing. So we feel like, you know, sports is kind of our niche, but this is really for anybody that feels pressure. So we found students who love this, obviously athletes who love it, you know, teachers, coaches, we're finding kind of everyone is, is finding a way to kind of relate to it. So our goal now is, is really to, to scale it. We're forming partnerships with organizations like the Positive Coaching Alliance. Um, we're doing work with ESPN. The 49ers have reached out to us. So we're finding lots of groups and organizations are like, hey, we've been looking for this. We've been wanting to find a way to get this to all of our people. And we feel like at Lucid, we're one company that's helping solve that problem, that we can scale mental training. We can make it easy. We can make it fun. Um, and here we are, you know, bringing it to the world. And it, it's... We don't do any marketing and people keep finding us. We don't do any marketing and people. So we feel like this thing is supposed to happen, you know, like there's so much energy behind it that it just keeps building. Congratulations on the early Thank success you. so far. One thing that's very interesting to me is, as you describe the Lucid platform is that describe some of the work you've done with, with players in the past. It's very individualized, right? It's very tied into one-to-one coaching and counseling and adapting the approach to the person what are some of the challenges that you've run into in creating a platform that's a little more broadly accessible and broadly open? Does that impact your ability to be effective? Do you need that one-on-one communication or is it something where an open platform can still be highly effective in driving change? I think an open platform can be highly effective in driving change. I think you know one of the challenges, we can't go as niche. So as, as I'm doing, you know, these daily workouts, I'm not talking to you as you're a basketball player. I'm talking to you as you're a regular human being experiencing life. So I might miss some people with like niche sports, but we're really looking to reach the masses. You know, we feel like this is already in niche groups and we feel like certain people have access to mental trainers, but the world doesn't. And so we're okay with being a little more general with getting this out to the world. And we found that People are totally receptive of it. Um, again, whether they're athletes, students, work professionals, you know, it, it really doesn't matter. People are vibing with it. So, um, for me, basketball was the niche that I knew I could get to the top in and I could get a ton of credibility. 
So I use that lane to get to the top. But now that we're here and we have that credibility, we're really just trying to be more of a general, a general thing that can go out to everybody. So eventually we'll probably get back into doing niche. We'll have like a basketball program, like a baseball department, football. But right now we're just, we're just doing it general, you know, and that's, um, that's okay because we want to scale it, you know, and that's, that's how we want to do it. You know, one thing you, interesting you, you mentioned earlier too, is that you've got some teams have reached out to, to speak to you. When you look at the landscape of professional sports, whether it's basketball or even more broadly, are there other teams that have, have maybe been outspoken around uh, mental training or taken that seriously as a um, as something they focus on? Yeah, the Seattle Seahawks are a great example. You know, Mike Gervais is an awesome sports psychologist who's up with the Seattle Seahawks. Him and Pete Carroll are doing great work up there, and they actively promote what they do. You know, another person here uh, with us at Lucid is George Mumford. And George Mumford is the sports psychologist for the New York Knicks. He's been working with Phil Jackson forever. He's who trained Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. So he's with us right now. And, you know, some of George's experience is that everyone is real hush-hush about this and real quiet. Uh, But I think you're starting to see some teams open up. And the Seahawks are definitely leading the way. Um, The Warriors, four main components of their organization in basketball are mindfulness, compassion, competitiveness, and joy. And they broadcast that out there. So I think you're starting to see some more successful organizations being proud of this as, as this comes out of the shadows. Um, but yeah, you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates have an awesome, awesome mental training program from their single A, double A, triple A, all the way up to, to the show. You know, they do an amazing job. They have many people employed. So uh, I think this is going to catch fire like really, really soon. It's already out there. It just, it hasn't hit that that Malcolm Gladwell tipping point yet. I think we're right, but we're right there. You know, I, I really do, you know, but when the teams call, it's still not a normalized position. Every team has a strength and conditioning coach, but every team does not have a mental strength and conditioning coach yet. So it's, it's not quite there. But you think we'll be there in a decade, 15 years, something, something along that order. I, I hope so. You know, I, I hope we blow it out sooner than that. I hope we force teams uh, to do this. You know, I knew we were on the right track. Uh, one time, just a quick story. I trained this kid named Josh Lankford, who was going to Michigan State this year to play basketball. And when he was getting recruited in high school, Florida recruited him. And Billy Donovan was the coach at the time. And he went to Florida. And when he was visiting them, he asked Billy Donovan, he said, how are you, you going to train my mind? How are you going to teach me to be present? And the coaching staff was like, what is this kid talking about? You know, and I, I had been training him since he was 14 years old. And immediately I got a call from the, uh, one of the assistant coaches at Florida. And he was like, Hey man, like, what are you doing? Like, what are you teaching these kids? We need to learn it because they're asking about it. And I thought to myself, bingo, like we're, we're on the right track. You know, like however we have to do this, we need to get every school and professional team doing this because then that starts the trickle down effect of the whole world's going to start doing mental training, you know, and that's my goal is get this to people. Yeah, and, and and so one last question for you. You know, if if I'm kind of a weekend, uh, you know, rec, rec league circuit, you know, I've got a got a weekend run I play in. What are the general tips and what advice would you give to me to say, hey, listen, you know, when you when you go on the court, you know, what should you be thinking about and what should you keep front and center from a mental concept? Yeah, do this. I'm gonna talk to you just like I talk to any other basketball player. When you get on the court, the only thing you focus on is the task at hand. And the task at hand is what you see with your eyes right now in front of you. And that's what you compete against. And you train yourself to focus just on this play. 
And then when this play is done, you tell yourself next play and you move on to that next play. And that's all you focus on. And if you simply focus on that at the end of the game, you're going to look up and you're going to love how you played. If you focus on just being in this moment with a great attitude, great effort, focused on the task at hand, and then when this moment's done, move on to that next moment fast, you're going to be okay. Now, the only thing that's going to stop you from doing that are focusing on results, focusing on the mistake you just made, letting your feelings get you out of the moment. No matter how you feel, focus on the task at hand. And then just do it over and over again. It doesn't matter what the results are. And what you'll find is you'll build so much confidence doing that because you control that. And confidence is about what do I control, right? So that's what I tell basketball players. And, you know, I always, I always share the story. I coached here in San Francisco at Mission High School. I've coached the all-time leading scorer in San Francisco history. I coached him for four years. The best game I've ever seen him play, he was 0 for 28 from the floor. And the reason I say that's the best game I've ever seen is because most people would go 0 for 5 and they would lose their focus. And they would focus on, I don't want to miss any more shots. He was 0 for 5. He didn't even know he missed five shots. He was so engaged in what was happening. He was 0 for 22 and didn't even know. He was so engaged in what's happening right now. So to me, that's that's the beauty of the mental game. And that's what I would tell you to do. Be in the moment and get on to that next moment fast. Fantastic. Well, Graham, thank you so much. This was such an interesting, engaging conversation. And uh, I, I certainly learned a lot. And, and I hope that our listeners did as well. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Stay in touch. Call me anytime. Let's talk again soon. You bet. All right, cool. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the On Deck Podcast, and thanks to Graham Betchert of Lucid Training for joining us. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear what you think. We'll be back soon with more great guests and conversation. Until then, you can follow at SeatGeek on Twitter to stay in the loop for updates, and feel free to email ondeck at seatgeek.com with any questions or comments.